0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com, an affiliate of The Hockey News. My name is Nick Berlansky, joined as always by Nick Horwat. and this busy, busy week keeps rolling on. We really don't have time to breathe here. If we say something now, it might be outdated in an hour, so we're going to try to talk... About stuff that isn't going to be outdated and the stuff that is going to potentially be outdated. Well, just know that you boys tried their best. But before we get into that, obviously we're going to talk about Chris Letang winning the Masterton Trophy last night at the NHL Awards. We are going to talk a little bit about Connor McDavid because he won four awards last night and just continues to bring home the hardware except for the one that matters the most. We'll give you some of the ideas for who could be a trade partner with the Pittsburgh Penguins based off of what Kyle Dubas said to the media on Friday. And then we had a listener question, which we'll address in the final segment of our show. But Horwat, before we get into trade partners, uh, listener questions, which is about the championship window, before we even get into Connor McDavid or McJesus or whatever you like to call him, let's talk a little bit about Chris Letang. He's awarded the Masterton Trophy by the nhl who is given to the player who most exemplifies the qualities of perseverance sportsmanship and dedication to the sport of hockey i said it yesterday uh, on my episode of penguins to go and i'll say it again here today it just also feels like the perfect definition for chris letang in general even before this season
1: yep this is uh about as much of a Lifetime Achievement Award as you can get, it feels almost. It was, sure, a lot of things culminating together in this one particular season. And that one particular month span, almost two month span of, uh, you know, a second stroke in his playing career to a uh, lower body injury that kept him out, you know, before the death of his father. And then even after uh, he was ready to come back from that, he still had to deal with that injury. Uh, just to come back and still play 64 games, put up good numbers for his level at the age of 35, uh, just turned 36 this offseason, and still playing at the top of his game. It's uh, it's incredible to see, and then, like we mentioned, it's a lifetime achievement award almost, considering all of the things that had happened uh, throughout his career, even from the early years uh, of his NHL days. and. This is well deserved for him. No matter what way you look at it, it was a long time coming, almost. And man, having his whole family there was all the more special for him. And having, I thought, having Pio Joseph be the one that kind of told the story on stage uh, made it even sweeter, considering what what Letang means to Joseph and for uh, the whole team. Yeah, it's actually interesting.
0: You mentioned the lower body injury that Chris Tang went through, which was. Literally nothing compared to the other stuff he went through over that six-week span, but the lower-body injury, uh, P.O. Joseph broke some news there. He said broken foot, and everybody's like, oh, I was like, okay, I guess that's what the lower-body injury was. I didn't know he actually broke his freaking foot in the middle of all of that, but no, as you mentioned, I mean, Chris Letang deserved the Masterton Trophy for what happened to him off the ice alone, but the fact that he was able to not only come back and play, but the icing on the cake was that 4 point performance in his first game back was it not i mean two goals two assists from a defenseman no less and one of those goals being a game winner in overtime i mean the story is is it's more of a grim fairy tale than a than a Cinderella story because obviously what he went through was horrible, and you you don't wish that on anybody, but the way that he was able to persevere and come through that, the Masterton Trophy, I know that he said last night, and I quote, I've always dreamt of being up here to receive a trophy, but that was not the one. It always means that something bad happened. And yes, that is what the Masterton Trophy is usually utilized for, giving it to the player that has been through a lot and still has been committed to the sport and shown perseverance, but... I mean, just the way that he has been throughout his entire career, the way that he has been able to perform, uh, you could tell it means a little, lot more to him, and it just means a lot more seeing it go to him. Uh, as somebody who obviously has watched him play his entire career, and that's how I speak of it, and I'm sure you feel the same way.
1: Yeah, it was well-deserved, and it was a... You almost... You don't want to say... that. This is an award that's weird to say he was a lock for from the beginning right does it feel weird to say that we kind of uh not knew this was coming but uh could have been the odds on favorite a long time ago for this mm-hmm. um and part of it is yeah it's just tragic that that kind of thing happens there is a bright side to it of that means he still performed you know it's not like he took that time off to, it's not like he took the season off it's this you know screw it that's the end of the year or, you know, called it quits or whatever. He came right back. He missed oh I forget what the number was now. Five games after after the stroke? I mean, the the broken foot kept him out longer. Think of that for a second. Yeah. Um But it's Yeah, it's usually because something horrible and bad and tragic happens and that did. Uh but it is the fact that they were that he was able to persevere through it and with his family and teammates by his side the entire way. Uh he also continued to say that this trophy wasn't for him it was for his family because uh you know they stuck around through the whole thing they were there throughout the entire time uh and his teammates were there as well it was uh it was a team award almost too but it's good on him still it's yeah we it just does feel weird to say he was a lock for this months ago it, that
0: it is a strange feel and it's a strange feeling to you know you're not celebrating that he won the masterton i, I think you're just happy that you know through it all the world recognizes what he went through yeah. and the, his story gets to be told on a national level on TNT uh, by PO Joseph and and really mm-hmm. just by the league and it's something that just highlights one of the best humans one of the best players and just one of the best you know i went in the wrong order there humans players defensemen but it should be one of the best defensemen one of the best players one of the best humans in the history of the pittsburgh penguins uh, and Latang yeah. is the first penguin to win this award since mario lemieux did it back in 1993
1: yeah it's it's That's good what on I him figured. yeah it is what you figured siri <laughs> um yeah it's it's a great honor for him it is all Good on him. And I do want to throw a quick note on Pio Joseph meeting Willie O'Ree. And did you see the inside of Pio Joseph's uh, suit jacket? I with did not
0: see that, but I heard about with,
1: it. Uh, yeah, with a bunch of pictures of uh, prominent black athletes, Willie O'Ree was among those photos. Um, you, I, they didn't show a picture of the entire inside, but I could vaguely make out. Uh, there was Willie O'Ree, Tiger Woods, and Muhammad Ali at least. I'm sure there was a few more. Um, But he got Willie O'Ree to sign that part, which is kind of cool. So also shout out to P.O. Joseph for his uh, little moment that he was able to have there. He said that he was more nervous meeting and being around Willie O'Ree than he was speaking in front of the crowd. So um, good on him. And also, it's like I said, it was awesome that it was P.O. Joseph, the one that Mm. spoke on Letang during during the ceremony.
0: Now, I don't want to get flamed in the comments for this and i i agree with you like great that p.o joseph was there he mentioned in his speech that he and chris letang watched every episode of the entourage together i guess it's not the entourage it's entourage i've never seen a single second of entourage have you i've
1: seen i've seen the first couple of episodes and i saw the movie when it came out okay i remember i me and a buddy of mine said we're gonna go see the movie without ever seeing the show uh, it was after the movie I started watching a couple episodes and then just kind of never got back into it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember it being a good movie and it being a phenomenal show. I think my dad watched uh, a ton of it oh, okay. whenever I was younger. Um, but also just knowing some of the bits of Entourage. Yeah, that that absolutely strikes me as a Crystal Tank show. Yeah? <laughs> a thousand I mean, percent. It
0: kind of seems like it. And especially, I mean, I don't know. It's just a show that I've heard many good things about. Obviously, everybody mm-hmm. has quoted it. And let me know in the comments, is it worth me binging Entourage? I believe it's on Max now because everything Probably. with Mark Wahlberg is on Max, even his uh, his own little reality show, uh, Wall Street, where he just basically just does free publicity for all of his companies and considering he has like 80. Uh, but no, I-, I thought it was fun. Uh, you know, it, it, you always like getting those little insights into their personalities and players' lives. And, yeah. you know... It's something that I had heard before, that Chris Letang was was being a mentor to Pio to Joseph. And obviously it makes sense both being French-Canadian. But, you know, a lot of people don't know that Pio Joseph lived with Chris Letang. Pio Joseph was under Chris Letang's win. It was almost like a Mary Lemieux-Sydney Crosby situation there, uh, by the way. Just they were able to, to connect immediately. So it's, it's fun that they were able to have that moment together. It's nice to see Pio Joseph be able to be there for somebody that's been there for him. And also, you know, the night obviously belongs to Chris Letang in the eyes of everybody that covers the team and follows the Pittsburgh Penguins. But the night did also belong on an NHL national stage to Connor McDavid. I mean, cleaned up at the NHL awards. Four trophies go to him last night. Two of them were already obviously figured out because the Art Ross and the Rock Richard are counting stats trophies, which he had already won, but he gets presented with those last night. He was ridiculous this season, Horwat. I mean, that doesn't even begin to explain what he was able to do during the regular season. He wins the Art Ross Trophy, the Rocket Richard, the Hart Trophy, and the Ted Lindsay Award, which are basically the same award just awarded by two different groups of people. He scored 153 points during the regular season, including 64 goals, and he had 195 of 196 first-place votes. Sidney Crosby, however, did finish with a couple votes for the Hart Trophy, tied 18th in voting with one fourth-place vote and one fifth-place vote. Uh, but Connor McDavid's big night at the awards brings his total trophy count to five NHL All-Star selections, five Art Ross Trophy seasons, one Rocket Richard Trophy winner, which I thought he had won it before, but I guess not, uh, three-time Lester B. Pearson Award winner, which is also the Ted Lindsay Award now, and a three-time Hart trophy winner the question then becomes Horwat, does he eventually have to win the big one to be considered a top five player of all time
1: probably absolutely because a lot of times everyone will take and rightfully so take playoff performance into this and not that his playoff performance lacks by any stretch of the means Um, I mean just this past season in 12 games played he had 20 points the season before that he played 16 games a I believe both of those were s- no he made it to the third round he would have to make it to the third round the 16 games uh this season prior 33 points didn't even play in the last round and he finished that postseason as the uh leader in points people c- people were trying to make legitimate arguments he should have won the cons might the spot despite not playing in the stanley cup final at all um this season same thing though. those numbers are ridiculous and that doesn't but still you need to find a way to win and i know you need the team to do that but that is the biggest trophy to win and this is the one that everyone says like yeah it's great to win these personal awards it's great to win the art ross it's great to win the heart trophy it's great to have all these personal accomplishments but it means nothing if a stanley cup does not somehow some way follow mm-hmm. and he just has he has to be able to do that i mean when you look at the discussions of the top 5 players in most sports how many of them don't have a championship trophy i mean it's that's a hard question to answer it's because there you you have to make arguments for people there's no clear cut if you have a championship ring or a championship trophy under your belt then you're right up there with the rest of them mm-hmm.
0: There's one player, because as of right now, you know, Connor McDavid, absolutely ridiculous, putting up point totals that we have not seen in the, in the uh, salary cap era, almost said the Stanley Cup era. We've seen point totals like that in the Stanley Cup era that's called Wayne Gretzky. But mm-hmm. he's put up all these crazy point totals in the salary cap era that we've never seen before in this era. But he doesn't have that Stanley Cup, and that's the big thing. When you look at the top 10 point scorers, because right now what he's doing and the pace that he's on, he's going to finish his top 10, potentially even top 5 in NHL history in point scoring. When you look at the top 10, there is one player that didn't win a Stanley Cup in that top 10. Because number one is Gretzky. He won Mm -hmm. four. Two is Yager, He won two. Three is Messier. He won six Stanley Cups. Gordie Howe had four. Ron Francis had two. Iserman had one, Lemieux had two, Sakic had one, Esposito had one. The only other player that's up there is Marcel Dion. Didn't win a ah. Stanley Cup. So at the end of the day, I get it's different eras, and I get Connor McDavid is doing this in an era where you do not see scoring like this. At the end of the day, if you don't win a Stanley Cup, you end up being placed in the Marcel Dion category. Is it going to be different for McDavid? Maybe. Because it's a different era. And it's a different viewpoint where he is above and beyond anybody else in the game right now, but he just can't get over that hump. He can't even get to the Stanley Cup final, let alone win a Stanley Cup. I think it's massively important. I think if you want to be considered Mount Rushmore, if you want to be considered top five, you have to win a Stanley Cup. I wouldn't put him over Crosby, even if he passes Crosby in points, Mm -hmm. if he doesn't win a single Stanley Cup his entire career.
1: That's that's totally fair because – I, cause here is the thing of it, right? He, so if he doesn't win a cup in his career, McDavid will get slotted into that Marcel Dion territory. When you were listing off the names, I'm trying to think who's, who is in the top 10 of all time scoring and doesn't have a Stanley cup. I couldn't think of the name. First name that I came up with, came up with was Eric Lindros for getting injuries, kind of shortened his career and screwed up a lot of things with points. But up until recently, up until Alex Ovechkin started this, hunt for Gretzky's goal record Marcel Dion was also in the top five of goal scoring people a lot of people forget about that he's six now because Ovechkin flew in but 731 career goals from Marcel Dion clearly top five of goal scoring top 10 of points and I couldn't name him couldn't come up with it why maybe because his name's not in the cup no maybe that's not the exact reason he also played in a less than notable hockey market for most of his career in Los Angeles but it's just you forget you know, but then it's always that, oh, yeah, that guy, you forget quite often because he's not the cream of the crop, if you will. And I mean, I don't know what Marcel Dion has done since his playing days. like sometimes, like a lot of those names you list off also like Mark Messier has a trophy named after him that he hands out himself, hand picks a player, which is weird. <laughs> um, uh, who 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 the names he said? He said Yeizerman's in there. He's running a team. Mm-hmm. Uh, Francis is running a team. Maybe that's also part of why you remember these guys. Yager's still playing. Yager's still playing. (laughs) (laughs) And there's obviously the, oh, he was also a Penguin and won those two Cups in his first two years. It's, you remember those guys, obviously. I mean, Connor McDavid has a phenomenal chance of slotting in right with those guys when it's all said and done. But a Cup does need to come along with it or he does just fall into that Marcel Dion, oh yeah, that guy. Territory, now, And there's nothing wrong with that, Mm-mm. clearly. Uh, Marcel Dion, one of the greatest of all time. But it's it didn't ha- doesn't have a rank, doesn't have his name on the cup, mm-hmm. and that's what hurts the most.
0: Now, I think at the end of the day, Connor McDavid will be remembered as a much better player than Marcel Dion. I don't know if say much better. Again, I I feel like we're we're crapping on Marcel Dion. He doesn't deserve it. He's a hockey all We also never he's saw him 100. play. I mean, I mean he has yeah, his, in... his last season was 1989. So yeah. you know, seven years prior to either of us being on this earth. But you know, at the end of the day, and you're talking about top five, that is a hard nut to crack there. Sidney Crosby has been a serial winner throughout his entire career, and he's put up the numbers, and he did it through injury. There was a point where you no, know, people thought Crosby might not play again. And that was in like 2012. That was 10 years ago. He's won two Stanley Cups. He's put up copious amounts of points. He's led his team to the playoffs every year except for this year since then. It, I think the conversation, even though a lot of conversation shouldn't revolve around championships, especially in a team sport, when you get to the top five and all things are equal across the board around there, these guys are all top line players can't find an issue in their game at all played either for a long time or played extremely well for a short time then you just look at it and you say sometimes winning the big one has to be in there and even Alex Ovechkin has one and if Alex Ovechkin wasn't in the same conference as Sidney Crosby he'd probably have more because Crosby beat him three times were three of the best teams that Alex Ovechkin was ever on, and Crosby went on to win the Stanley Cup all three of those years. So, it's an interesting, interesting discussion that will be had many, many times. Especially considering what Connor McDavid has got—five, six years of being the best player in the league, undoubtedly left, and then he'll probably play for more after that, depending on obviously, uh, hopefully, that he'll be healthy because you want to see excellence play for as long as excellence can play, but. There's a lot of that story left to be written. But even if he keeps this pace and doesn't win a Stanley Cup, he doesn't pass Crosby in my eyes. And I think you echo that sentiment. And, you know, it, it might be a homerism play because we grew up watching Sidney Crosby. But it's, it's the opinion that I have. And it's the opinion that I would assume a lot of people share as well because winning in professional sports can sometimes become everything.
1: Yeah, and rightfully so. It's just the way it should be.
0: Yeah. Exactly. So, what we're going to do now is we're going to take a quick break after we uh, went on a little bit longer about that conversation. But, you know, we can wax poetic about Sidney Crosby and the history of the NHL all day long. But let's talk about the Pittsburgh Penguins heading into next season. Kyle Dubas has a lot of work to do. We'll see what teams he could be dancing with at the NHL draft later this week.
1: We'll be right back.
0: Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by Inside the Penguins, who is an affiliate of the Hockey News. Thank you to everybody for tuning into this episode. I'm Nick Berlanski, that's Nick Horwat and Kyle Dubas, just over three weeks as Pittsburgh Penguins president of hockey operations. He spoke with the media last week in Pittsburgh before departing for, Pit- for Nashville, but currently he sits in the lion's den in Nashville, Tennessee with 32 other general managers getting ready for tomorrow's first round of the NHL draft. He said last week that, quote, I think we're in a good spot and fortunate, we'll get back to that in a second, and fortunate that the cap has remained flat because it allows us to take on people from other clubs that can bring us good value and have us push to contend. Who may those clubs be? We'll talk about in a second, but Horwat. I never thought I'd hear a general manager or president of hockey operations or whoever say, "We're actually fortunate that this cap has remained flat." Interesting take by Kyle Dubas there.
1: Uh, it is. It's definitely interesting. I just think the way he's had to the way he's had to work in Toronto the last few years, the flat cap hurt him. I think maybe he's coming from the mindset of, "I haven't had a dime to spend since." Before, Since before William Nylander held out. Mm-hmm. And now he's got $20 million in space to work with, which is more than even the Penguins are used to. So maybe he's looking at it as, we have more space to work with than normal. Sure, we want it to go up more, but we have a ton of space uh, to work with. And he's probably looking at it as, well, here's the cap space we have. It's a flat cap. He's said he's not try- he's not trying to make any huge plays in free agency. He's not trying to... Oh, I forget what else. Oh, it was trade the first round pick. He's not trying to make any huge plays in free agency. So you're not expecting him to fill up that 20,000 with, or 20 million with three names. He's not trying to do that. So he's going to utilize the fact that this flat cap is affecting everybody, and that includes these cap-strap teams. Mm -hmm. If, If every team gets that relief, suddenly it's a little harder to take... Big contracts from other teams, which seems to be what he's trying to do, mm-hmm. uh, and the Penguins aren't at the moment, at least, right up against the cap. But other teams are already. I think the I think the Canucks are over already. They're not. Uh, they're not there yet. They have guys on LTIR. They will be over once those guys are uh, back. Which uh,
0: no, cause... as of right now, cap friendly accounts for that. Because here, here's what I'll say: bottom five yeah. teams. In salary cap space right now, according to CapFriendly.com, fifth is the New York Islanders. They have 4.5 million dollars in space. Fourth is the defending Stanley Cup champion, the Vegas Golden Knights, with 3.4 million dollars. Third is the Calgary Flames. They have 1.25. Woof, that's a rough space to be in. The Tampa Bay Lightning are second, as they always are, normally in the top three. 450 thousand dollars currently in cap space as of right now. And number one is the Montreal Canadiens with negative 1.2 million dollars in cap space but Carey price will be heading to ltir again which will create space which will get them out of that top spot
1: yeah and as i look at the canucks thing again i think it is that they have the cap space right now they just have multiple rfas to sign that are going to crush that number that they have that includes ethan baird travis dermot i'm missing one. Oh, Vitali kratsoff mm. yeah it's they're in a weird situation. They're going to be over pretty soon, especially if, I mean, their current LTIR is Tanner Pearson, don't know, Tucker Pullman, possibly because that team's not good, and Ethan Bear. Yeah. So it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. And uh, and that's exactly the kind of team that, believe me, I don't want to, but that's exactly the kind of team that Cal Dubas is probably eyeing up as you got players you need to get rid of. Let's make something work. Well, is that the first time? I believe, you know, I've never heard of a Vancouver-Pittsburgh trade
0: rumor especially, you know, over the past couple of seasons. That just doesn't happen, Horwath. It just, you know, I don't think there's any player over there or maybe five players over there that have been <laughs> rumored to be going to the Pittsburgh Penguins over the past three seasons. Maybe eventually uh, it'll happen. But no, if you had to choose a player before, I have three teams here, and there are three of those five teams that I mm-hmm. mentioned earlier is the, the teams with the lowest amount of cap space, and it. it's it's not the Montreal Canadiens. So you can uh, pick from three of the four, and, and guess who I'm going to go with with those three. Who from the Canucks would you want? Like, who would you want to target? Or would you want Kyle Dubas to target if you're looking at their roster? Because, honestly, at this point, let's fish in a different pond.
1: Uh, yeah, absolutely. Listen, I'm a big fan of of players coming home. Huge fan of that. I love when players play for their home team. Not JT Miller, please. Any other time. Give me JT Miller not on that contract, and maybe we have this discussion for real. That contract is egregious, and I don't want to go anywhere near it. I didn't want... Ron Hextall to go anywhere near it. I didn't want Ron... uh, Ron Burke. uh, Burke or Chris Pryor to go anywhere near it. And yet, they went near it a lot. Mm -hmm. And now that they're gone, I don't want Kyle Dubas to go anywhere near it. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think Jim Rutherford should have gone anywhere near it. But here they are. Other than that, I mean, if you're maybe able to get Brock Besser out of there, I know he doesn't want to anymore, but he also doesn't have a clause so maybe if you're able to do something there connor garland could be interesting there's still good trade targets in vancouver you just have to avoid a certain pittsburgh native actually pittsburgh native i will suddenly use my geography skills and say east palestine ohio native yeah jt miller
0: yeah and those are the usual suspects obviously when you're talking about those guys honestly when i look at that team I would say screw those three with one year left on his deal if they need some cap relief I'll take Anthony Beauvillier
1: that's another good I would
0: much prefer Beauvillier over Miller and that Albatross again Miller would be fine if that was a four year if that was a four-year deal that's not a four-year deal that is an eight-year contract that should not have been signed
1: I also don't like the $8 million cap it, well,
0: that's just me. You you can live with the $8 million cap hit when you have Crosby getting ready to probably take a pay cut in two years and when you have Malkin who just took a pay cut, when you have Latang that just took a pay cut, when you have, you know, goaltending that you're going to have to pay more for, but for the love, let's not pay $8 million for our goaltending situation unless it's a, a guy named Connor Hellebuck. So, you know, <laughs> if I'm looking at that and I'm picking one player, I'm saying – you need cap relief Anthony Beauvillier has one year left on his deal at 4.125 million dollars and would be a phenomenal middle six piece for the Pittsburgh Penguins
1: yeah and, and I'll and I'll bring this name back up it sucks they butchered the Tanner Pearson situation yeah but I don't want it. that would have been a fun player to return uh, for the time he's 30 uh, now I mean it would have been nice last year to do that but again they butchered that situation and I mean who else is on this lineup
0: You know, I I think I have ill will towards Tanner Pearson for two reasons. One, because you like him so much because he was an LA King and won a Stanley Cup with the LA Kings. And two, because he was the return for Carl Hagelin in a trade that was so misguided by Jim Rutherford that should just not have happened. I mean, you trade players like that just because you need to shake up the room, you got no value in it. And, And it made no sense at the time. And... You know, if you're going to trade somebody, it didn't make sense. But let's let's not continue to talk about the Vancouver Canucks because that's, that really hijacked nine minutes of this segment. Uh, <laughs> but looking at teams that I could see being potential trade partners, considering what Kyle Dubas mentioned to the media last Friday at uh, Cranberry, Tampa Bay Lightning are certainly one of them. We've seen them multiple times have to deal with cap casualties. I mean, Andre Palat... Uh, last season, Tyler Johnson a few seasons before that. They currently need to sign four forwards and a backup goalie at the moment. Already mentioned that they are cap-strapped to heckin' back. I could see Anthony Sorelli becoming one of those cap casualties for Tampa. I-, I mean, they love their team. He has eight years left on his deal at $6.25 million, so you're paying a lot of money for a long time, and it has to be a good fit for Anthony Sorelli. But... On the Tampa Bay side, they have Steven Stamkos with one year left on his contract. It doesn't seem like, you know, he's going to drop off the face of the earth as far as talent wise. And you have Braden Point for seven more years. Do you really, if you're that team, want to pay $6.25 million for a third line center in Anthony Sorelli? I know he's a great two way guy. He gets Selkie votes a lot. He he can score. He's a big playoff performer. He has Stanley Cup rings. But I could see him being one. The other name on there even though it doesn't really offer much cap relief for them is Brandon Hagel Uh, because what are they doing? I mean, they spent a lot of money on him and then they give, was it Nick Paul, a lot of money. The other trade deadline acquisition they made. And it's like, what are we doing here with Brandon Hagel? So those are the two names I could see potentially being squeezed out of Tampa, but, I know Kyle Dubas said, you know, you get to do this and you get players back for, for less than you should. You're still probably going to have to pay a decent amount for either of those two players. Maybe not a first rounder, but you're going to have to pay.
1: The thing about Anthony Sorelli is the fact that that contract is just starting.
0: Yeah. This is the, this is going to be the first year.
1: Yeah. And that's in from the Tampa Bay lightning perspective, how you, you that's just one of those deals. You just can't trade. It's just starting. And like. Because then that that just becomes bad PR. It's you just signed the guy to this deal, and you're getting rid of him before he even played a second on that deal. Yeah. I mean, it's bad PR, but in the same time, uh, J T. Miller might have the same situation happen to him. Yeah. But that's I feel like that's a bit of a different situation. Everyone agrees that that's an egregious contract, and they were trying to get out from under it before it started last season. This is just the deal has yet to really begin, mm-hmm. and it's just it's a it's a thing you can do totally there are no clauses attached to it you can sign it have it signed and then just be like and just say i'm wiping my hands of it it's gone the thing is, it's just bad PR and weird for the team to do. Yeah, that, Those here, are my thoughts on those kind of deals. And, and,
0: trades. and here's the thing with with the Sorelli one. It's a stretch. It's a push. The Tampa Bay Lightning in general are a push. I don't know. I mean, Julian Breezebois and before that Steve Eiserman, they're cap wizards and the way that they've handled and been able to keep that team relatively together throughout the years. So, again, it's hard to forecast what the Tampa Bay Lightning are going to do. And really with with Sorelli, maybe they see him as their second line center after next year. Maybe they just won't bring back Steven Stamkos or Stamkos, similar to what Crosby is going to do, is going to sign a deal that's much cheaper and just want to be, you know, second fiddle on a contending team. Maybe he'll say, I'll move over to wing. You can bounce Braden Point up to the top line and put Sorelli as the second liner, and I'll be a winger on one of those top six lines, and it'll still be great. So, you know, Tampa's a stretch. That's why I have them at number three as trade partners for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Also, I just think that when you look at that team, Kyle Dubas has an intimate knowledge of everybody on that team because he's gone up head-to-head with them two straight years in the postseason and also in that division since he took over the Toronto Maple Leafs five years ago. So I see Tampa being an option. Uh, Calgary Flames are another one. They need to sign two forwards, so they don't have very much work left to do, but at the same time, they might look to revamp with a team that just missed the playoffs and just got a new general manager. I mean, Elias Lindholm, anybody? Now that's, again, a stretch, similar to the Sorelli thing, but Andrew Mangiapane, Blake Coleman, those two names are names of guys that I could see being in that same stratosphere from what Dubas was mentioning on Friday.
1: Could be. Yeah. That's, that's another team that all of a sudden, just out of nowhere is shipping everybody and their mother off of this team. And it's not even through their own fault. It's a bunch of players saying we don't want to play here anymore. I mean, yeah, yeah they can, the guy they didn't like playing for, but there must be something else going on there. It's very interesting. Um, whenever the Tyler Tafoli thing happened, I remember I, Texted you and said, where is Ron Hextall when you need him? Here's your old buddy, Tyler (laughs) Toffoli. I think that's a genuine option. 4.25 for one year left. Got something left in the tank, clearly. I mean, he's 31, but, I mean, yeah, he's a right winger. We need left wing depth.
0: If you you can get retention on that, then 100%. But you're going to have to, you know, throw in
1: maybe a second rounder that the Penguins don't have uh, to get that retained. I mean, for one year, I think you take the bite. And just kind of roll, but that's one that. But is he a is he a top six guy or a bottom six guy? That's the question. That he might be able to float through either one. I mean, depending on where he plays. I mean, seventy three points this past season. That's top six numbers. Top six numbers here, especially well, yes, season
0: before that. Seventy three points, but also look at his role
1: on that team, which he's not gonna have the same on the Penguins. That's that's my biggest issue. Ah, I mean, now well, you're right, but then you put those numbers, yeah, you have to subtract some some uh some additions there. But I still think he would be able to produce in the bottom six and that's something this team needs is a bottom six producer. We saw it work with Phil Kessel. And we it did two different uh, players. We, we but... did
0: that's. I think that's also an exception and not the rule when it comes
1: to what you saw from the Penguins' third line in 2016. That's fair, but I think I, I'm just throwing Toffoli out there as a, also p- probably a long shot, but definitely someone that I'd be interested in. I mean, he hasn't had a bad season, it looks like, going through these numbers. Um, I mean, the the only thing that might give me a hiccup is all right, you're not playing Tyler Tafulli in the fourth line. How well did he play with Jeff Carter in LA? S- nope, Nope. There it is. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care. I really don't.
0: Because guess what? If we're building teams based on... What happened in 2014, then free agency would be the way to go. Jonathan Taves, Vladimir Tarasenko, Patrick Kane, and his broken freaking hip. Yeah, let's let's grab them. And Tyler Toffoli added on to it. I mean, listen, if we could exchange Tyler Toffoli and his one-year left for Jeff Carter and his one-year left, 100% would do. But also, the Calgary Flames are not run by a bunch of imbeciles, and that would be the worst. Not to mention Jeff Carter has a no-movement clause because he who shall not be named a second time on this podcast is an idiot, but uh, no, Listen, we will it, talk about that man. So often we have no choice it would, again. It's just, it, it's the state of the team right now, but if I'm choosing, I want more of an Andrew Mangiapani or a Blake Coleman than I want a Tyler Toffoli. Even with the one year left, I, I would just, I don't know. It, it does not feel like Tyler Toffoli would fit the vision of what
1: Mike Sullivan is,
0: is going for next season, personally.
1: Who knows? And I'm, I'm with you on the Mangiapane. I'd much rather have the younger, albeit more expensive, but the younger, uh, probably speedier option in Andrew, Andrew Mangiapani Blake Coleman is an interesting choice. No trade clause, though, so it gets hard. Also, 31. I don't know. I think it goes, in my eyes, Mangiapane than Toffoli. That's just me, though, for this team specifically. Okay. Hey, listen, that is your personal preference. Noah Hannafin. We haven't talked about defensemen yet in this
0: situation, have we? This is true. I also, yeah, this is true. I mean, defensemen, interesting, interesting situation for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Noah Hannafin would be great. Uh, I, I would love to see Noah Hannafin come to the Pittsburgh Penguins. But again, what are the Flames looking to do next season? Like, are you looking to? They're in a similar situation to the Pittsburgh Penguins, minus the fact that the Penguins have star players that are aging. The Flames are a middling team at the moment, which is what the Penguins were last season. That has made the playoffs one year, missed the playoffs another year, and when they get to the playoffs, they don't do crap. So, how do you get over the how do you get over the hump there? They don't have a lot of the cap space. They have basic. You're not running back the same team that missed the playoffs last season. I can tell you that much. And you have a new general manager. So whose head's on the chopping block? Are they looking to burn it down and rebuild? Are people actually looking forward to playing for the Calgary Flames anymore? We don't know. But uh, Hannafin's a good name to add to that list. Mm -hmm. But I think regardless, we just put out four names that would make complete and utter sense for the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Calgary Flames. Whether they actually have the conversation or not. The Flames should be a trade partner for the Penguins. At least they
1: qualify as a very interesting trade partner for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Absolutely. From Pange Pani, Coleman to Foley to, to Hannafin. And you know what? He wanted to get stupid crazy? Jacob Markstrom. <laughs> that one's a stretch, but... that
0: I think he's Magic Beans. I really think he's Magic Beans. Exactly. I don't, I don't think you're paying for what Like you're not getting for what you're paying for that guy, whether Dan it's Vladar? in the trade or the contract. Dan Vladar
1: would be great if the Penguins had another goaltender that was better than Dan Vladar, but exactly. <laughs> no, See, uh, this is just, this is a goldmine. This is where Kyle <laughs> Dubas should be looking. It's the kind of the conclusion
0: we're coming to. So maybe the Calgary Flames are the number one team and not the other team that I have listed here, which is a team that, you know, has basically traded in cap casualties over the past seasons. You look at Nate Schmidt, you look at Marc-Andre Fleury, it's the defending champs, the Vegas Golden Knights have very little cap space as they have done basically since inception. They need to sign Aiden Hill. They say they want to bring back Ivan Barbashev too. What do they do with Robin Leonard? Is he going to play again or is he going to be LTIR the rest of his career? Who does that leave open? Keegan Kolasar you like but doesn't offer much cap relief. Nick Waugh, who our buddy Jacob Pantori over at Inside the Penguins said he likes. $3 million cap hit for him. That makes a lot of sense, although paying $3 million for a fourth liner is is pretty expensive. Riley Smith is the interesting one to me because you bring Hmm. back Barbashev. Riley Smith's a little expensive there, especially when you're going to put Barbashev on that top line. So Riley Smith, to me, becomes the next potential cap casualty for the Vegas Golden Knights.
1: That one's interesting because it, it it will be hard to pry any of those six players, the, the their core six, if you will, out of Vegas before a banner raising, right? It's going to be hard to pry one of those six out before that. Uh, now, that doesn't mean you can't do it.
0: No, I don't think they care about the banner raising. I don't think, listen, they do, but not in the face of business. What has Vegas shown us time and time again? (laughs) Who gives a crap about your feelings? We're doing this for the betterment of the team. If Riley Smith being traded is for the betterment of the team, they're going to say, you can watch that banner raising on television and you can get your ring when you come back to Vegas.
1: Absolutely. And I'm sure there's still, it would be all the same. I mean, I mean, over, over the past few years, we've seen some great additions to cup teams not be there for things like that. Uh, Nazem Kadri comes to mind right away with Colorado. Yep. Or you could say Jack Johnson with Colorado, but they played Chicago and they let him skate out for that, which was kind of cool. Uh, I mean, also different situation, different players. Not like he did that much. Yeah.
0: Um, Blake Coleman, Tampa. Yeah. Same Blake with Coleman and Tampa. Who, was, uh,
1: who else was on there? Yanni Gord, Tampa. Yeah, it's... It definitely... It is, happens. It happens. It's just the... It was just they put so much of those six guys into this, uh, into this cup run. Still, though, we've seen, like you said, we've seen time and time again that that front office doesn't care about your feelings.
0: There's a reason there's only six players left from the inaugural team that was six years ago. (laughs) What is that? You were the six that were good. Not even. I mean, they traded better players. Yeah. Nate Schmidt is is better in my opinion than Brady McNabb. Yes. But he was more expensive. So guess what? Have fun in Vancouver, kid. Mm -hmm. He didn't have fun in Vancouver, says the narrator. But no, Riley Smith, I think, you know, the Vegas Golden Knights are always open for business. So Riley Smith, I think, would be the paramount name on that team. And then you look at, you know, some of their pending free agents that you know they're not going to sign. Two of them are former Penguins. Now, I'm not going to start the campaigning for Phil Kessel, but, you know, Teddy Bluger returning – maybe maybe then you could push Ryan Paling to a wing I don't know fire Jeff Carter into the sun but regardless <laughs> we're going to take a quick break when we come back we have a listener question to get to and we'll uh, finish off with that one on the tip of the iceberg another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check welcome back to the tip of the iceberg podcast brought to you as always by inside the penguins an affiliate of the hockey news we had a listener question which listen we're always open to listener questions especially after the next couple of weeks it's gonna be a pretty mm-hmm. uh pretty slow time uh, we usually put out mailbags and don't get very many questions so if you want to have your question answered on the show literally just dm at iceberg podcast and 90 percent chance we're gonna answered on the show there's a chance that we don't because it might be a busy news day or we might just not want to talk about the question uh but we'll let you know if we decide that but we did get a listener question from at ohio Penns fan on twitter he asks quote do you think it's better to throw everything at winning this year or just try to make it back to the playoffs maybe win a round or two and hope to really go for it next season should the Penguins be all in is essentially for this season is essentially the question.
1: It's that's really hard because you want to say, yeah, we should be all in this season because you never know how much longer these guys have left. Truthfully, they're all crossing Malcolm Tang, They're all getting older. There's no doubt. Um, we don't know if they're going to be able to put up that kind of season that they just did again next season, let alone the season after. And them, those three putting up a great season would be, play a huge role in, uh, you know, moving forward and toward another Stanley Cup. It's, I would say that you have to try and do both. Truthfully, in the grand scheme of things, twenty three, twenty four, this upcoming season might be their last real chance at it with those three. Can they rebuild following? And by rebuild, I mean retool following this upcoming season with. Those same three guys, but also different flesh and blood around them, it's going to be a little tougher. Mm -hmm. So I'm on the side, I guess, of gunning for it this year. Mm -hmm. Because you don't know how much time you have left. And you don't know what kind of cap space. Sure, the salary cap might go up next offseason. It's supposed to jump very drastically starting
0: next season, but...
1: I won't believe it till again, I see it. Supposed to be, again, yes. Yeah. So utilize your $20 million that you have now properly. Gun for it. Sign a bunch of one year deals if you need to. Revamp. Do it again next season. I don't know. Uh, we might be looking at the ends of the Crosby, Malkin, Latang tenure the same way we looked at the Brandon Tanner contract. All right, one year at a time. Let's see what we can do this year. Let's go. Yeah. Um,. And that's not a totally awful way of looking at it, but that would include gunning for it this year and Mm -hmm. figuring the rest out down the road. This is a great question. It is.
0: It's one that I don't know, again, if you're Kyle Dubas, regardless of which approach you take, in my opinion, you operate the same exact way this offseason. Same exact way. If you're going all in, For this year, or you're trying to build it to a steady increase towards a real run at it in 2024-25. The real point of divergence for me on those two paths is in season. Specifically, the trade deadline. How do you evaluate where the team is at once you get to that point? Because I think we can all agree. Last year's team was the worst Pittsburgh Penguins team we've seen in a long time. And they were still one point out of being a playoff team with everything that happened to Chris Letang. I, only, I understand he only missed about a quarter of the season with it, but everything that happened with him. Everything that happened with your goaltender and how poorly it was mismanaged on the defensive side, which affected the bottom six as well, that team was still only one point out of being a playoff team. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I think at the very least, it does not going to take many moves to get them back into being a playoff team, in my opinion. Right. But once you get to that trade deadline, you evaluate, am I okay if I'm Kyle Dubas sacrificing future assets to get this team over the hump and get them that extra piece that's going to get them a championship. Am I okay with saying, okay, now this year's first rounder is gone because we need to bring in the big fish at the deadline. Or we need to bring in that great middle six piece that was Ivan Barbashev this year for the Vegas Golden Knights. That's when I think there's a real divergence. Because I don't think, and as you've seen from Dubas and what he's at least said, he's not going to go out there and swing for home runs every single time this summer. He's looking to take advantage of cap teams or help them. As some would say, he's looking to sign smart free agents, but not expensive free agents. And he's looking to figure things out on a very minute scale and try to slowly ease this team back in a positive direction. I think that lends itself to both potentially going for it and going, quote, all in in 2023, 24, and also building for some stability to get past into 2024, 25. But once you get to the trade deadline, that's when, again, at Ohio Pens fan, that's when this really becomes a question. This really becomes a hey, you've reached the fork in the road. I don't think we're quite there yet, but I will say, because that feels like a cop out answer to some probably, because I'm saying I, you know, won it all, which the Penguins should win it all, and that's what Kyle Dupas is going to try to do. So, if I had to pick, if we were at that fork in the road right now go for it in 2024-25. Because I'm confident Crosby, Malkin, Latang. next season and the season after that are going to be good enough. It's going to be a matter of who's around you. If you get to the point where you were this season at the trade deadline and you're at that fork in the road, the team is hanging on by a thread trying to make the playoffs, do not trade away all those future assets at that moment for rental players. Don't overpay for players with term, because guess what? Those prices come down in the summer. And if the team is at that level, no amount of first-round picks are going to get them over the top to going from a team that missed the playoffs and is hanging on by a thread for the playoffs to being a championship team in 2023-24. So if I was at that fork in the road right now, I'm also projecting what could potentially happen in the season, I would say you want to give them the best chance possible in 2024-25 because the cap is going to go up. You're going to have more flexibility next season. I, I I firmly believe that now that the escrow payments have been paid back or at least almost paid back, the cap is going to go up, I think, at least more than a million next year, for, the, for Christ's sake. <laughs> so I would be on the opposite side of you because I think this team is, right now, where it is, not a great spot, didn't make the playoffs. They're one point away. Mm-hmm. I don't think you go all in for 2023 because then I think that not only sacrifices 2024-25, but that sacrifices the gap that we've talked about so much since Kyle Dubas took over three weeks ago. So I would say 2024-25 if I had to, but I will tell you this question is better served around the trade deadline. Um, And I think it'd be a great question to revisit. Once the season is halfway over, once you get closer to the trade deadline, or even two months out of the trade deadline, when you start to forecast, you know what who, who could be buyers and who could be sellers.
1: Uh, yeah, I would go around December, even yeah, just because December is when we started hooting and hollering that Ron Hexall should have been making trades. It was right there. It was after that Carolina Hurricanes loss. That's when things should have really begun, and they didn't. Mm-hmm. So i would say around that time see where we're at see if we have that season defining loss and we realize it right away yeah it's yeah and then get back to it again maybe a month after that get back to it again around the deadline Mm -hmm. and then that's it see where we can go it's a question you can ask a couple of times this season Mm -hmm. hell it's a question you can ask a couple times this off season we have to draft tomorrow not that that means much but you who knows what kind of movements you do during that draft Oh yeah. yeah, that's also even if there's no moves made, that's the groundwork for a lot of deals the rest of the summer. Mm-hmm. And then you got free agency opening up on Saturday. Then you can ask it again. Then you can ask this question a couple times this week.
0: Yeah, Let's see very how things true. go. That's why it's a good question because it is a utility question that you can ask in multiple different times because it's it, it's it's intriguing. It's very intriguing. Uh, before we go, I did just get a news alert from Elliott Friedman. Nothing involving the Pittsburgh Penguins as of yet. Uh, There is word that it's unlikely the Anaheim Ducks will, it's unlikely they'll give a qualifying offer to Max Comtois this week. Uh, The forward is expected to become a UFA and available to everyone on Saturday when free agency opens at noon. That's an interesting name that just got added to the fold.
1: That's intriguing. Trying to find, there we go. Listen, there's a lot of people
0: I can tell you on, uh, on Penguins Twitter that like Max
1: Comtois. Coming off of a, there's a lot of numbers there, basically a $2 million contract, Uh, 19 points in 64 games, on the very bad, very, very bad. On the very, very bad Anaheim
0: Ducks. And uh, give me his age. I said 24. 24. We'll
1: be 25 in
0: January. You don't give up on players that had that much potential at the age of 24. Now, you don't overpay them either. (laughs) Let me make that clear. You don't overpay them either. But taking a flyer on a guy like that, probably not a bad idea for your bottom six.
1: No, not awful. I mean, you ignore a lot of these numbers, but it's an interesting name. It's an intriguing name. It's an
0: intriguing name, and that—that's what I'm going to be doing all this week: is looking at my phone for tweets from Elliot Friedman and Pierre LeBrun and Darren Dreger and Nick Horwat, who's an insider as well, uh, for Inside the Penguins. <laughs> turn on your uh, turn on your Twitter alerts for Nick Horwat tweets because uh, they're coming fast and furious. And I I guarantee, call me Joe Namath, because I guarantee Nick Horwat will be first to at least one signing this week don't make a liar out of me don't make <laughs> okay. a liar out of me Horwat. come on don't make a liar out of me this week. but firing that's firing from
1: the hip <laughs> to that's gonna do happens.
0: it yeah throw crap at the wall see what sticks but that's gonna do it for this episode of the tip of the iceberg uh I, i'm not gonna hold you to that actually um because you know obvious reasons we're not insiders here but that's gonna do it for this episode of the tip of the iceberg we'll see you guys next time <laughs>